Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Hey, everybody. Everybody good? All right, sweet. Uh, Well, excited about this new series because we're going to talk about God nonstop all the rest of the summer. Um, Come to church and talk about God. What a novel thought. You would think that every weekend we would talk about God the whole time, but we don't. Uh, We talk about ourselves. We talk about our struggles. Uh, Sometimes the sermons are more about us than about him, Uh, but today we shift our focus solely on him. And I'm going to have to warn you in advance, some of the stuff we're going to cover uh, are truths about God that are not necessarily easy to grasp. Uh, So we're going to keep it very simple, uh, for my sake anyway. I I, I tend to understand simple truths better than complex ones. But uh, as we spend our weekends unpacking God's infinite existence and his unmeasurable attributes, all the things we, we, we need to know about him to truly know him, I cannot overstate how important it is for us to stay engaged because the more we know about him, the more likely we are to really know him. The more likely we are to not invent a God that we want him to be instead just get to know the God that he, he really is. And that's actually more difficult because the God he really is is unlike anything we have ever known. And we've got to know about him in order to deepen our relationship with him. And then once we deepen our relationship with him, chances are we are going to know ourselves better uh, in the light of who he is as our creator and as our, our sustainer and as our father. Uh, and knowing about him and then deepening our relationship with him is the best way for a person or group to set their moral compass and find their purpose. Now, whether we are aware of... Whether... See, you know when your brain is going like this and your mouth's going like that? It's crazy. Uh, Whether we are aware of it or not, everything we do flows out of something we believe about God. Our perception of God's presence strongly influences how we navigate life, as does our perception of God's expectations. Surveys consistently show that over 90% of Americans believe there is a God, Uh, In other countries, the number is even higher. So the question is not necessarily does a God or gods exist or did they once exist? The question is, tell us what that God is like. And that's what we're going to be talking about all summer, uh, even though, as I said, explaining him is going to be uh, difficult at times. Even what I just said, explaining him, referring to him as a him is inaccurate because he's not male, 
But our language is limited in its personal pronouns. We have he, she, or it in, 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 in the way we talk, just language. And uh, so we don't want to refer to him as an it. So the Bible refers to him as him because it was written all by men. Uh, and it just begins there with that. Uh, every way that we refer to him feels inadequate because his attributes, his qualities, his personality traits are above and beyond anything that language can describe. So when we attempt to describe him, human language fails us because when we're explaining something unfamiliar, we always use the familiar. We'll compare it. We'll say, it's, well, it's, it's kind of like this and kind of like that. Uh, but whenever we attempt to describe God, every comparison, every metaphor, every allegory fails us at some point because uh, he's above and beyond. Uh, really, the only way that we can get to know him is when he allows that to happen. And he, unfortunately, he wants to be known by us, so he makes it as easy as it can be made. Uh, but nevertheless, it's going to be interesting. So let's keep it very simple. Today we have four simple statements, and that's all we'll have time for. We'll unpack all four of them. Uh, God exists. Say that with me. The second one. The third one. And the fourth one. All right, very good. And that's going to be enough ground to cover for one weekend, but it'll be great because it'll set the foundation for the entire series. That we're, Before we talk about his justice, his mercy, his wrath, his compassion, before we delve into why he created us, why he continues to sustain us, let's just start with number one. God exists. God exists. Can I get an amen? amen. You're like, Steve, I knew this already. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, but we have to start there. And it is absolutely amazing that God does exist, that someone is out there that is bigger than us, that we are not just a, uh, a, a, the result of a million uh, random coincidences. Uh, someone very different than us made us and is keeping us alive. We're not alone. And God had his reasons for creating us and he, he, he's very good at seeing to it that planet Earth sustains us. All right, so how do we know that God exists? I mean, can we believe the Bible written by people who believed in him? Uh, how do we know that, that, that religious people didn't just make God up so that we can all have someone bigger to believe in or to blame things on? Um, what proof, independent of this book, irrefutably proves his existence? Well, fortunately, the existence of God has been debated by intelligent people ever since there have been intelligent people. Human beings have always believed in gods and goddesses since the very beginning. But then the Greeks came along with a completely different approach with philosophers like Plato who said it's not religion's job to defend whether God or, God, uh, or goddesses exist or don't exist. Religion simply responds to the gods that they already believe exist. It's philosophy's job to decide whether God exists. It's science's job to decide whether God exists. And, uh, and, and you can decide that God exists based on logic. The theory was that the only reasonable response to nature was that someone created it and someone is sustaining it. So that changed the way of thinking uh, a, a lot. And the Apostle Paul used that to his advantage when he was in Athens. And he says, you know, I notice you believe in gods and I notice you guys are all philosophers. Let me tell you about the God that you don't know about. 
Now, you go forward to the 13th century, and a religious guy, a theologian and philosopher named Thomas Aquinas, tackled this question also by not using the Bible, even though he believed in the Bible. He thought that it was important to tackle the question of the existence of God so that people, whether they believed in the Bible or not, would, would settle in their own minds, I don't know who God is, but I know he exists. And this is based on reason and logic. Now, if you want a, a taste of how Aquinas did this, you can Google the cosmological arguments of Thomas Aquinas, a series of five logical presentations that don't use religious scriptures at all, but prove that God is out there. As Aquinas would say, it's reasonable to believe that God exists because of nature. As a matter of fact, he would say it's impossible to escape the evidence of God's existence. It is everywhere. Even the smallest environments show his thumbprint and the most simple of cells uh, show the evidence of a very intelligent design. It doesn't take any faith at all to come up with a conclusion that we live in a created world and not a world that created itself. To believe in a creator God is reasonable and it's not even religious. It's the only truly acceptable conclusion as far as I'm concerned after going on a short walk or a long vacation, and I recommend both by the way, that an extremely talented creative force was once at play and is still sustaining the universe. Just get out from light pollution sometime this summer and lay down on the ground and look up. And as the sky darkens, especially on a, a moonless night, the evidence of God's existence is right above you. And then during the day, take a walk, go through a forest, go through a vineyard. You know, a tree is awesome in its own right, but it doesn't survive in a vacuum. It needs the right amount of soil and sunshine, nutrients and water in the right mix. You vary any of these things too much and the tree withers and dies. A fish is created uh, to live in the same watery environment that would drown a bird. The fish needs water in its lungs or it will suffocate. The bird needs no water in its lungs or it will suffocate, suffocate or drown. Someone designed both creatures to live very well only meters from each other. So whether we're talking about bugs or bats or buffaloes, each created thing reveals an intelligent engineer artist with unlimited resources and abilities. And I've yet to quote one scripture. Every woman who has carried a baby from conception to birth has all the evidence that she needs to believe in God. It's logical to believe in God, and in my opinion, illogical to not believe in him. It's also intelligent to believe that this creator still exists because the system is constantly refreshing. Someone is maintaining it. Someone is holding it together. Creation did not form itself, and it cannot sustain itself leading us to the logical conclusion that God exists. Then, if you do believe the Bible, you can open your Bible and see how the Bible confirms this. King David wrote, the heavens prove the existence of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. The Bible even says that you don't need the Bible to confirm that God is out there. Look at what Paul wrote to the Romans. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, 
his eternal power and divine nature. So that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul is actually saying that you could know God just by experiencing creation and pondering it. You could know enough attributes of God just by seeing what he produced. So why is that comforting to us? That God exists. That God creates all things and sustains all things. Well, there's many reasons. Uh, it, it brings meaning to our existence and, and, and hope to our existence. If he exists, if he really is out there, then maybe uh, our existence has purpose as well. Maybe we can know him. Maybe we can rely on him. If he's the creator, if he's the sustainer, then maybe we can tap into that sustenance for ourselves, not only for our own survival, but for our own pleasure and in order to find our meaning. Uh, if, if he's sustaining the, the entire universe, doesn't it make sense that he could take care of you? Yes or no? Good. All right, so we've got it. God exists. You know what I just did there, too? I prepared you for a really peaceable conversation with someone. Like, let's say you really want someone to become a Christian, but I'm not sure I would start with Jesus. I would start with the existence of God and, and come up, you're, nine times out of 10, the person's gonna agree with you in that. And of course, you're not trying to argue someone into loving Jesus. That never works. And you know what else doesn't work? Facebook posts. <laughs> let's actually have face-to-face -face conversations and let's keep it sweet and civil. And, 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 and so I think a great place to start is, well, um, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and, uh, but, but, but let's just talk about whether God is even out there. You can have the most beautiful and wonderful, thought-provoking series of conversations. And when you do, you can easily pivot to the next statement. Do you remember what it was? God exists was number one. And the second one was, God is God. And you can quote me on that. How simple is that? God exists, and he's God. Now, why are we saying this? We're saying this because there's no other way to describe him. He is like no other. The prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 40 of his book, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? He picks up the whole earth as if it were a, a grain of sand. And who can advise the spirit of the Lord? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? To whom will you compare me, asks the Holy One. Who is my equal? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And we're not even gonna try in this series to measure the depths of God's understanding. We're really just gonna scratch the surface but it's gonna be a great summer because we're gonna be coming and going a bit. A lot of us are, are going on vacations and we're gonna to go to beautiful spots in the world. But when we go there, we're not gonna leave God behind. As a matter of fact, we're gonna have personal worship experiences at, at beaches and in the mountains and at different places. Probably not at Disneyland. It's the happiest place on earth, but it's just so distracting. <laughs> but for those of us that enjoy camping, for those of us that, that really even just enjoy our own backyards, let those times be worship experiences as well, where you worship a God who is like no 
other. Like he said to Moses, uh, who asked him to tell his name. He said, Moses says, tell me your name. And Moses was used to Egyptian God names. So it was kind of shocking to him when God says, well, my name is I am. I am who I am. Uh, he's, and, 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 and roughly translated, that's uh, I'm the God who really exists. That's who you can call me now. I exist as myself. Um, and I don't know if that helped Moses or not, but God was being very honest with him. The great theologian A.W. Tozer said it like this. When we think about God, we're trying to imagine someone unlike anything we know. God asks, who am I like? Or to whom will you compare me? The answer being nobody. Nobody's like God. Nothing's like God. God is like himself. So how does that affect us? Well, on one hand, it makes him difficult for us to get to know because we have no point of reference. And when we're getting to know him, we have to remember that he isn't just a bigger version of us. The Greek gods were like that. Just a, they, were, they were magnified human beings in their power and in their foibles. Uh, Dionysus was a partier. Aphrodite was a lover. Ares loved to fight wars. The Greek gods could at times be very human-like, making them relatable. They were really just big versions of human beings. But the real God is nothing like that, which can be frustrating at first because he's so different than us, he's hard to get to know. If you want to get to know someone, you try to find commonality. When you get to know God, the commonality is basically you were created in his image, and that's where it ends. But on the other hand, when you sit with this and get used to it, it can be very comforting. You know why? I wouldn't want to serve a God that was just a bigger version of me. How about you? Would you want that bigger version of you in charge of the universe? <laughs> no, I want God to be different than me. The more exaggerated version of me would be a terrible God. God is not like me, and that is a blessing for me and for you. God is God. And only God is God. And that is wonderful. Do you agree? All right, let's pivot to the next thought. You're doing great, by the way. I can tell you, you stayed engaged. Very few of you are on your phones. This is awesome. Uh, because I believe it's also logical to assume that if God exists and is sustaining the cosmos from the largest stars to the smallest forest, then he would have to be everywhere at the same time. Right? If he's holding all things together, he would need to be present in those spaces. Now, the Bible confirms this, but a person who doesn't read the Bible could intelligently draw the same conclusions that God exists, God is God, and God is everywhere at the same time. For Christians, we can open our Bibles and read about this. The prophet of Jeremiah wrote down what God said to him at this, on this topic. Am I a God who is only close at hand? No, I'm far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth? David wrote an amazing poem to God, Psalm 139, where he says, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of, of, of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, holding me close. 
If I say, surely the darkness uh, will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. I imagine that this thought would have comforted David when he was behaving himself and haunted him when he wasn't. I mean, depending on the day, it feels really good or really scary to think that God is right there watching. Or is it just me? But when you ponder this thought, most of us get to where the musician Asaph was who wrote Psalm 73. God's presence is a very good thing. It's his presence in all places that makes prayer possible. I mean, he has to be here in order to hear you. But he is here. He's everywhere. So when we speak to him, he hears us. You know, let's do something we don't normally do. Let's pause right now. We've been talking about him for 19 minutes and 43 seconds. Let's pause right now and talk to him for just a moment. And let's recognize what we've just talked about. Father God, we know that you are present among us right now. We know that we don't have to raise our voices. We don't even have to use our voices for you to hear us. And so before we move on talking about you, we just wanted to say something to you. Thank you for not abandoning us. We're grateful that you exist, but we're also grateful that you exist among us. We would be so lost without you. Help us to rely on, depend upon, and recognize your presence every day this week, not just when we're in church. And help us to talk to you more as if you were right there listening. And all God's people said, amen. All right, you ready for number four? Or should I start over? All right, number four. Review, God exists, God is God, God is everywhere. And number four, what does it say? God is infinite. And he's infinite in time, in space, in knowledge, and in power. It's gonna take us the rest of the sermon to unpack that statement. All right, God is infinite when it comes to time. And I don't know about you, but of all the things I've talked about so far, this one is the most difficult for me to wrap my brain around. That he has always been. And he will always be. Existing before time and remaining when time is no more. Forever. We worship a God who was not born and will not die. As much as I'd like to convince you that I've got that one figured out, I don't. How can that be? How can he not have a beginning? Everything I know has a beginning. Everything I know has a shelf life. Life starts, life ends, but not God. He knows no beginning and will always be. He was at the beginning. He was before that, always existing. He existed before matter. He existed before light. He spoke these things and everything into existence. He is the only thing in the universe that has no birth and no death. He is in the language of the revelation, the alpha and the omega, the first 
and the last, the everlasting God. As the psalmist says, from everlasting until everlasting, you exist as God. He is timeless. He knows no past nor future. He is completely outside the limitations of a timeline, seeing everything happening simultaneously. But then, to complicate matters, he's not just above it looking at it. He's, he exists within time, at every single point in time, at the same time. Making God's view of time very different than ours, because we have a past, a present, and a future. And God doesn't. He's present in every moment that has ever been, all at the same moment. He's experiencing the future right now, Yet he is still in the past, and he is here with us in the present. The apostle Peter wrote, time means nothing to God. With a day, uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Both are the same length of time to him. Now, for me, I, I, that's hard to fathom, because I live in the present, and I'm one of those people who definitely lives in the present moment. Now, I had to learn to do that because I was always either thinking about the past, maybe regrets or memories, or always looking out into the future planning. And, 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 and I learned to just live each day as it is. I had to try to do that. God doesn't have to try. He just naturally is. You know, I, I try to remember things in the past, but the further back it goes, it gets fuzzier and fuzzier. You know, I'll be telling a story to someone uh, about something that happened, but if someone who was also there is in, oftentimes they'll correct me and say, see, that's not what happened. You forgot the whole thing about this thing, this part that happened. And uh, it's not that I was lying. It's just that my memories uh, play tricks on me. But God is nothing like that. He is still present in the past and he's already present in the future. That's how he could tell Micah where Jesus was going to be born hundreds of years before it happened. That's why he could take Daniel and John and Isaiah into the future for them to see things that are even still in our future. For us, it's like we're standing on the street corner watching a parade go by, one band at a time, one float at a time. For God, he's up there in the Goodyear blimp seeing the whole thing at the same time. Past, present, future. With equal and accurate clarity. Now, for me, yesterday's past, tomorrow's out there in the fog. I have absolutely no point of reference or anything to be different. That God is infinite. I don't even use the word infinity correctly. Do you? You know, we, we might say that an artist takes infinite pains with his picture. We might say that a teacher had infinite patience with her class. No, she didn't. She just had more than you would have. She had a lot. What we're saying is that she was extremely patient, but extreme and infinite are two different words. When we, go, when we say that God is infinite, we mean more than God is extremely more than we are. What we mean is he has no limitations. Now, this is extremely important for us to try to grasp because later in the sermons, in the series, we're going to talk about his mercy and we're going to say his mercy is infinite, and we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that he would never not have mercy for you because he has an infinite amount of it. His love is infinite. He is infinite. And every one of his characteristics are infinite. He never runs out of anything. 
And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But first of all, back to God is infinite in time. Uh, the angels sing this, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, when I allow this thought to sink in, it can be a great comfort to me, even though I don't understand it. If God is in my past, that's a great thing because there are things in my past that I'm still trying to resolve, but I can't go back there and redo the mistake. But he can go back there and heal it and fix it. If God is in my future where I can't get to, uh, he can be in my future and prepare the future for me because the future is like the present to him. This is a tremendous comfort, easing us of the fear of what is just around the corner. We can't know the future, but we can know him. And we can trust him to work everything out even before it unfolds for us. Stay with me because I'm gonna shift now because God is not only infinite when it comes to time, he is infinite in knowledge. He knows everything. There is no event, no circumstance, past, present, or future that he is not aware of. There is nothing that can be known that isn't already known by God. The psalmist said, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is infinite. He never learns anything. He is never surprised. Paul wrote to the Romans, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past Finding out. And why is this comforting to us? Because if God cannot be surprised, we are in good hands. If God knows everything, we don't have to know everything. If God knows everything, he will never make a mistake. And that is pretty awesome that my God will never make a mistake. I'm safe in the hands of God that knows everything that there is to know. Uncertainty breeds anxiety. Knowledge is power. And my God has that knowledge. And if I can get and stay close to him, a God who cannot be surprised, then I am going to be safe through many circumstances that I would have messed up just because I was ignorant of some very important fact. Usually later, after you've made a mistake, it's, sometimes it's, you knew better and you did it anyway, but oftentimes you didn't know better. You didn't know what you needed to know. And so the number one way that human beings learn is by making mistakes. That's why having failures is such a good thing. And we shouldn't be afraid of failure because failure is the best teacher. But that's us. God never fails. God never learns and God never makes a mistake. We can pray to a God that knows everything that is needed to know. We can ask him for his will to be done and stop trying to get him to do our will because our will is based on limited knowledge, limited, no limited wisdom, and mixed motivations. His will is based on unlimited wisdom, unlimited knowledge, and pure motivations. Wow. You know, even when we confess sin to him, it's easier than confessing it to another person because God is never shocked. He was there when you did that stuff. He was just waiting for you to come around and say sorry. Wow, that's great. 
And I want to move on, because uh, God, God is not only infinite in knowledge, he's infinite in power. As Gabriel said to Mary, nothing is impossible for God. He not only knows everything, he has the ability to do everything. And there are many descriptions of God's power in the Bible, starting with his power to create. Celebrate Psalm 33 with me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Did you hear what the psalmist just said? He said that God is so powerful that he doesn't have to lift a finger to create everything. He just speaks and it happens. That's how much power is in his words. Unlimited power. And his limitless comforts us because we hit our limits all the time. When you're young, you think you have no limits. And if the adults would just get out of your way, you could do whatever it was you needed to do. But then you become an adult and then you age and, you, and, and your limitations just keep creeping up on you. Uh, and, and that's frustrating. And what's really frustrating is, is when there's a situation and we have the inability to fix it and we try everything we know how to do, everything within our power, and we can't fix it. Leading some of us to say, I'm done. I'm done with that situation. I'm out. Count me out. And it's because we're so frustrated and exhausted, we've used all of our abilities and it didn't get fixed. Well, all of life really is like that as well. Uh, the, the, the days of the years of our life are few. Uh, we often feel like we don't have the resources or the wisdom to get things done. Life often feels just like a big rehearsal for a concert that never happens. Just when the, we've, atta we've attained a little bit of proficiency, it's time to lay down the instrument. How completely satisfying it can be to recognize our limitations and call out to a God who has no limits. Let's say that to him now. God, you have no limits. The more we reflect on this, the easier it becomes to quiet our spirits in his presence, to settle our anxieties in the face of things that we can't repair. Now, for those that have chosen to go on it on their own without God, time is the enemy. They're always in a hurry. They get more frantic the older they get. But for those of us resting safely in the Lord, trusting him, we become more peaceful the older we get. Because we've realized that time is just a series of events, pleasurable things, painful things. But in the end, we will enjoy a forever life with a God who is everywhere, knowing all things and the power to do all things. The eternal God even has the ability to give us eternal life. So we can join those angels in heaven around the throne, singing holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You know, I used to uh, hear about heaven uh, and think, is it gonna get boring there? I mean, you read about heaven and you're in this throne room and there's these, these crazy looking animals that look like they're from uh, Marvel Comics or something. And they're, they're, they're angels, but they, they don't look like any angels I've seen paintings of. And they're surrounding the throne and, there's, and, and they, they, they just constantly, 24-7, holy, 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 holy. I hear that and I think, okay, that would be cool for a while, And then the more I thought of it, I thought, they can't think of another word. 
Down here on earth, we can write songs because we, all, we have all kinds of comparative words for God. When you get to heaven, you're so awestruck that the only word that would come out of your mouth is holy. God is holy. And they circle the throne and then they see another aspect of God that, that amazes them. And they all start again. Holy, holy, holy. The whole universe, the cosmos is filled with his glory. And why is that comforting to us today? Because that's our God. We don't serve a God that religion created for us. We serve a God who really exists. I guess my question would be, what do you need from him today? What do you need from God that he could not provide for you? Then why not ask him again to open the storehouses and provide for you? Let him heal your past. Let him live with you in your present. Let him be out there waiting for you in your future. Picture him waiting for you out there in the future. And fear not because God exists. God is God. God is everywhere. And God is infinite. This week when someone asks you what the sermon was about, you've got it right there. God exists as God. He's, he's, he's everywhere. All the time. And he's infinite. All that's left for you to do is reach out to him today and ask him to provide what you need. Father, we come to you now so excited that we're going to be talking about you like this. We're not going to talk about our problems. We're not going to talk about uh, five ways to improve our relationships. We're not going to uh, we're not going to as much dive into history as we are going to just dive into you and who you are. Thank you for helping us to get to know you because without your help, it would be impossible. I pray that you send your Holy Spirit in all of our gatherings to unpack who you are to us so that we can know about you and then so that we can know you. And as we know you then, everything here on earth begins to make more sense and start to resolve for us. Be with that person now who came to one of our campuses in such great need. Be with that person who's watching online right now and feeling overwhelmed by what they're facing. Be present with them in that moment. Help them to unclench their hands and hand it all to you, the God who exists, the powerful, infinite God. Amen.